I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. What is your unicorn space? And if you don't have one, how do you find your inner passion and creativity? That's the heart of my conversation with Eve Rodsky, best-selling author of Fair Play, and now her new book, Unicorn Space, which is all about carving out time for yourself to bring joy into your life. Here's a tip. It has nothing to do with children, work, partnership, or any day-to-day responsibility. Hi, Eve Rodsky. Hi, everyone. And hi, Jenny. Hi. So for those who don't know or are new to the Second Shift community, Eve is an old personal friend and friend of the Second Shifts. And she is just a force of nature. And Eve has written her second book, which is Find Your Unicorn Space. And just taking it back a little bit, watching you go from a lawyer who have has two little kids and now three and a busy family life and um, two working parents to taking the organizational and analytical principles that you used in your own work and applying them to find a system and structure to what was in your mind, like going off the rails in your family life. And then using that to create Fair Play, which became a best-selling book and whole entire like universe. And then now writing your second book in COVID. You are a complete badass and your determination and hard work to create something that is both like purposeful for yourself, but also helpful to, to all women and in an activistic way is just remarkable. And I'm so happy to see you. So thank thank you. you. I should take you on the road with me. Um, But also I want to say thank you for your early support because, but I think you were one of my early interviews. I quote you in fair play and you know, that was a time where not everybody understood why I was writing a book about chores. That's what a lot of people said to me. Why would you write a book about chores? Who cares? Those so people thank, thank you for clearly don't know have children and families and have to balance them all because anybody who had the conversation with you was like, oh yeah, let's talk about this because this is a real problem. And, and you said something important back then. You said that, you know, we're not suffering for, there was an article about the anti-ambition age. And I love that you in fair play. So you, I want to just put on the record that you were talking about this three years ago when I interviewed you, where you said, what's this ambition gap? There's no ambition gap. There's an exhaustion gap. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of reframing that the problem is not for women. It's for society. And this is before the pandemic. So if there was an exhaustion gap before that, you know, that gap has just grown. So thank you for your work in identifying that and what you've been doing with the second shift. Let's discuss Unicorn yeah. Space because Unicorn Space came out of an idea in Fair Play. And I just want to know, like, how do you define Unicorn Space? Because I think I was defining it a little bit differently. And then I like read your entire book and dove in and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about this wrong. Well, yeah, it's definitely not for you to think about it wrong, but I think it is for you to think about it differently because We've had, I'd say, misnomers for daily flourishing. And if we look at the word for 2021, Adam Grant talked about languishing. 
And so I, I would like to replace languishing with the idea of daily flourishing. We know now know creative practices are associated with that daily flourishing. And here's what I mean by creative practices. Creativity redefined as unicorn space. All it is is active pursuits that make you come alive. So if you ever think about some point in your life, this kept coming up and up over and over again when people were in their unicorn space where someone would say, I can't believe I just did that. So have you had it? I can't believe I just did that moment recently. That That is a unicorn space. So what it means, it's not a passion because we could have many of those. And actually, in fact, I would hear, well, my passion is my children. And so I was like, okay, this is this word is not working for me anymore. It's not a side hustle because money commodifying this is not what I'm talking about at all. It's not a hobby because a hobby was connoting in my research. And now it's thousands of people in 17 countries. But in the initial interviews, people would associate hobby with infrequency. Uh, I'll strum my guitar when I get a chance. I will grab uh, a game of chess in the Washington Square Park when I can. So I needed a new word for what I was talking about. Creativity, people would say, well, I'm not creative. White space, you have white space to think. My colleagues of color and friends were like, white space is a terrible word. It makes me feel like I can't be in that space. So I was looking for a new word, Jenny. And the idea of taking up space, having it be mythical and magical, but understanding it doesn't fucking exist until we reclaim it, made me understand why I love the term unicorn space so much. Let's talk about like purpose, because a lot of it is like it's purpose driven. And I think that can kind of like connote the wrong thing where it does. It's like, what is the purpose of this thing? Does it have to have like, are you giving back? Does it have to have an element of that? Because that feels like, you know, some sort of bigger picture thing that you're or does it have to have a purpose like I'm going to have a career out of this thing? What how do you define purpose? That's a great question. So I'm going to go into a little bit into the research. So there's words that are thrown around a lot, like passion and purpose, finding your passion and purpose, finding happiness. What I decided to do was really understand first what was happening in positive psychology, because you, even till today, like there was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, these happiness labs, how to find happiness. These classes are now becoming the most popular classes at the Ivy League schools. And I, it's not that I don't like those classes. I sat in in happiness labs, Professor Lori Santos, I really love. But in general, this idea of happiness as the end goal, Jenny, is very limiting. Because as one woman said to me, she said, you know, I've gratitude journaled myself to death. Everybody's definition of happiness is really different. And your parameter is really different. And so if you look, if you actually say, I'm going to set out to be happy, or you say to your children, I just wish you to be happy. That's actually wrong. That is wrong. I don't call anything wrong, but I will say that I ask you not to say that anymore. Retire, I wish for you happiness. Don't say that anymore to your children. What you're going to replace it with is the true definition of mental health, which is I wish you the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time and the ability and strength to weather it. And unicorn space is the ability and strength to weather it. We're looking for those experiences. So we have happiness without meaning. And that is, for me, during the pandemic, that was emotional eating. For many people, it's doom scrolling. It's binge watching Netflix. We know how that when we do it, you know, after an hour, we're like, what did I just 
where did that hour go? But not in the, I can't believe I just did that way. More in the like, oh, I can't believe I just wasted an hour doing that. Then there's the meaning without happiness, which is associated with caregiving. And I know I get a lot of meaning from caring for my kids, but as the studies show, I'd rather be in a root canal than be hanging out with my toddler. So sorry, Anna, but that's the truth. I'd rather be in a root canal this weekend than hang out with you. And so there's meaning without happiness. There's happiness without meaning. The happiness and meaning when it collides in these unicorn space experiences, Jenny, is the umbrella. It's the ability and strength to weather it because it's going to keep raining on us. And that's those experiences we need. We need those experiences to weather the mundane. I find that in my conversations with a lot of women, it's very, very easy to talk yourself out of creating this for yourself. You could, I mean, you could think about your day and be like, I don't have time for that. I have work. If I had time for that, I would work out. That's right, what I right. yesterday where I was like, mm, those are two things that I think you could probably sh- and should make time for. And there's so much like, there's so much psychology behind it. Cause right. There's like the shame and guilt that you should be with your kids or you should be at work, the shoulds. Then there's like the confidence that people lack so much confidence in just their ability to do something and something big seems like a super scary thing to do because that's committing and not, not even knowing how you're going to be able to get it. So how do you help people? And in your book, you do a really good space of this. I mean, that's what a lot of the book is about is coming up with it, just coming up with the idea of what you might want to do. How do you structure it into your life? And then how do you communicate it? And, And how do you even get the confidence at the beginning to say, I'm going to do this? And there's exactly there's there were so many hurdles. And that's why as much as I love the books that were already existing on creativity, what I found hard about them was they, they just jumped into the program. So there is a program here. I did find a unifying principle, a practice. Unicorn space is a space that occupies curiosity, connection and completion. And when you do that over and over again in these cycles and practices, it becomes very, very, very powerful. However, we'll get there. But before you get there, I had to honor the data. And the data was that there were three very, very intense hurdles for claiming this space, for taking up this space for women. And hurdle one was, I have no time. It was, you want me to be unavailable? You're giving me permission to be unavailable? I don't even know what you're talking about. One woman said to me, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Her name is Brooke. You're saying I should be unavailable, but availability is literally my identity. She said to me, availability, having my phone on, the ability to be interrupted, having my body available to my kids, letting them hang on me, giving them piggyback rides, letting my daughter braid my hair. Like I'm always available. So this lack of boundaries is a real, real problem. And I ask you out there, do you believe you have a permission to be unavailable? from your roles as parents and or partners and or professionals. By professionals, I mean anybody who works for pay or works for unpaid labor in the home. Do you believe you have a permission to be unavailable from those three Ps, those roles? I will tell you that a super majority of women in 17 countries told me no. So it doesn't, it has nothing to do with socioeconomics, right? Because there, you know, you could hear somebody making an argument like this is such a privileged place to be from. You don't have little kids. You're, you know, but it's really a mentality shift more than it is like any sort of privilege. 
actually the strange part of my data that I don't really go into because I, it, it feels like a distraction was the more people, Jenny, that identified in the 9.9%, the less likely they were to have a unicorn space. Do you think that has to do with shame and guilt of like, yes, but I think they're doing other things. Their jobs are so big that they don't have exactly. enough time. I, um, yes. I think as you get into more of the higher echelon circles of socioeconomic status, I think people's milestones around you look so big that you shrink to fit into those milestones. That's what I think happened. I think what happens is, oh, wow, um, that they, everybody has four kids. I have one kid. Like, I, I should have more kids. Everybody has a nicer apartment than me. I should work to get a nicer one has a business. This one has it started their own thing. If I don't start a business, then I don't have a thing. All right, exactly. Um, everybody's so much more successful than me. It's really that extrinsic milestones, I think, become more oppressive. And doesn't mean, obviously, it's not hard for everybody to create this space. But I will say it was really interesting. My, my colleague, Mark Bamuthi-Joseph, he's a spoken word artist. He's the head of the Kennedy Center. We know each other through a client. He came and I, I was able to get a quote from him for the book. And uh, we were in a creative space together. He gave a really important distinction, which is that for a lot of communities, financial capital has not been available to them. And so creative capital is a more instinctive type of capital. I think the more privileged you are, sometimes the less you believe because you've been brainwashed by capitalist patriarchy to believe that maybe, you know, commodified wellness, you know, spending an hour uh, getting your hair dyed, working out with, you know, with a trainer, those become the things that are your unicorn spaces and they're not. They're not. Totally understood. That's very understandable. And unicorn space, what are some of the more interesting things? Like, okay, I think I have my unicorn space and I think I defined it, like I said, incorrectly at the beginning, but I, I play Mahjong with a group of girls. Oh, of course we started it like seven years ago. It's a whole thing. Now it's become like a much bigger situation because we have like groups of women all over the country who are now playing and and it's but it's like such a fun thing and we have like holiday parties there's no purpose to it other than we thought we would play something I wanted a way to get my girlfriends together I was going through uh, separation at the time and I wanted a way to like bring my friends together in a really like joyful learn something new and not have to like be in a restaurant or be somewhere where you can't really get together and like have those like deep connections well, that, of course, that's a unicorn space. Okay, I think that's like, because this of was, course. I'm like thinking through my life and I was like, what are my unicorns? Of course, that is the quintessential one. So let's explain. So assuming, and, and that I, the book spends half the time addressing these hurdles, as you said, of the permission to be unavailable and how it comes up in guilt and shame and not being able to ask for what you need. Assuming you are able to get there and sometimes it takes a cancer diagnosis, a divorce. It takes a big jolt, a, a pandemic to say, and even the, again, back to the Wall Street Journal this weekend, the, the weekend section started with a question, how can I make my life better right now? What kind of, the Wall Street Journal is asking that question. So I do think in periods of disruption, it's a perfect time to find your unicorn space or to reinvest in it. All it requires is what Jenny did. 
a curiosity. I wonder how I can convene my friends in a way that we don't need expensive dinners in loud places, but that we can also include a learning component. That's a curiosity. Then you invited a connection. You probably started with one friend or a couple friends who you decided to start connecting with through play. Then you completed a game. You completed a game. I don't know how Mahjong works. I'm assuming the games end at some point. It's not just like a- You learn how to do it. You learn how to play and then you just play. Now it's like, it's like getting together for poker. It's just- But but, but it's it's a game and and it completes. Yes. So, right. I mean, it's like playing Scrabble. Eventually it ends. That's all I mean by completion. A curiosity, a connection, and a completion. So I'll give you just another example. I talk about this woman, Kat Medina, only because it comes back to how you know if you're in it. So Kat Medina, she is this woman who works at Sam's Club. Her husband's an auto mechanic. One night, he's coming in from his shift. He thinks he hears an audio book or a CD on, he walks into the room. His son is actually listening to his wife narrate a book for him, a children's book. And then her husband says, wait, that was you? Like, maybe you should like do this for a living. You have a really beautiful voice. I thought you were a professional from the other room. So Kat tells me she gets curious. What would it be like if I narrated an audio book? You know, like, what would, so she Googles, how do you narrate an audio book? That's the curiosity. She decides to connect with a website with someone out there. She shares herself with the world by actually borrowing her husband's laptop. And she found a microphone on clearance at Sam's Club. She puts it out in the world. She completes it. That's a unicorn space. That's a cycle. She never knew whether she was going to get a call back or whatever. She never expected anything. A week later, she gets a call that an author booked her for a a, a read. And she goes into the audio booth. This is before COVID. And she reads this book. And as she comes out, she tells her mother that she's going to get a tattoo on her arm that says reading books is like breathing air. And her mother says like, okay, that's like a little ambitious. Like you just read one book. Like, I don't think you need to like tattoo it on your arm right now. But her point to her mother, and she did get that tattoo, was, I don't care if I do another one. Like, what I just did, it was an experience that can't be taken away from me. And it is her umbrella. And she has done more books. And so I said to her, well, what was your life like before reading books? And she's like, well, what's the opposite of breathing air? So I think that's what we have to just think about is is how you live in your cycle. If you're concerned about the curiosity end of the cycle, it probably means you're in a passion gap, that all those extrinsic milestones have taken over and you feel like there's no time. However, Jenny, I would say that there's also a lot of people who, who get stuck on the word completion because I had a woman who said, I know I want to do a podcast, but if I don't get you know a million downloads, I'm going to be a failure. So I might as well not do it. I was going to say, you don't have to be a Mahjan. You don't have to go and, you know, you don't have to be like the expert in play in like the giant tournaments. As long as you complete a game, it would, it would be completion. So I have a friend who I was talking about this with this morning, having coffee. And she said, Oh, you know, I've always had a goal. I think I could be like a really, really good snowboarder. And I was like, 
Okay. I mean, she has two kids. She lives in New York City. Like, there's not really that much of a chance to snowboard. And we're in our mid 40s. But I I was saying, okay, go do it. Like, your family, you know, go on a vacation and try it at least. That seems like what you say, like a a big goal. Um, There isn't really a completion to that. That's more of like trying a hobby. Right. Well, no, the completion would be her getting on the mountain. She's actually actually doing it during her first run. That would be because, because it actually takes a lot to get there. Like you said, it would take a curiosity to to say, what do I need to snowboard? It would take a connection with somebody, whether it's a friend to teach her an instructor, somehow she'd have to share that with the world. Somebody is going to see her going down that mountain. I would not recommend she does that by herself. And then the completion would be her first run. I do have a friend, ironically, who shared with me on social media, I haven't seen her in a while, that skiing has become her unicorn space. She lives in Oregon, so it's probably a little easier. She did tell me she got whiplash um, on the second time down the mountain. So again, maybe not my unicorn space, but she showed me all these videos of herself getting down these, and, she, and just how, and she's a beautiful skier now. I mean, for me, like, I, you know, I mean, I don't think she's like going to be a champion anytime soon, but she's, she's completing runs. And she actually said that she wants to learn to do like those little, you know, moguls. And so I think what, what was happening with you and Mahjong and what happens typically in a unicorn space, if you know it's yours, you naturally want to level up. Mm-hmm. I say in the book, nobody wants to die in level one. In my research, in the 750 unique interviews, and then now more, what happened in every single one of them when people identified a unicorn space was they didn't want to stay as is. They wanted to improve in it. And I think that that is where the meaning comes in, Jenny. I also think it's very important to talk about the boundaries and communication aspect of it, because those are two pieces that are applicable in creating the time and space to create your unicorn space. But those are things that are applicable for everything in your life. Because using that as like a microcosm of, okay, then you need to speak up for yourself to make the time and space in work, to talk about what you need for your family life, or to, in your own family, to figure out your invisible invisible labor. Yep. So though that piece to me is something that like everybody could use. And, and, and sometimes it's like, if you start off, creating it with the unicorn space, it could then ripple into the other areas. Absolutely. Instead of it, the reverse being like, oh, now I have this space. A hundred percent. And that is actually why, even though we didn't talk in advance, but you obviously know me really well, that is why this became a sequel. A book about creativity became a sequel to Fair Play because there is a formula for thriving. There's a formula for thriving that I talk about in Fair Play that I talk about in all my speeches now because I've watched it over 10 years of, of data. Boundaries, systems, and communication, what Jenny was referring to. Boundaries, systems, and communication. Systems is fair play. You're not going to get to unicorn space if you hold all the cards. Even if you're a single parent, my mother offloaded a lot of cards on me and my brother so that she could have her unicorn space, which was being a professor of social change, activism, and community organizing. So holding all the cards can't happen. That's the system. That's what fair play is about. It's about the ownership mindset in your home, treating your home as your most important organization so that you can get 
that type of time back. However, the boundaries and the communication is harder. And that's why unicorn space becomes a beautiful tool. If you say to me, what's the point of freeing up all the time? Because I don't even know what I would do with it. Then start with unicorn space. If you say to me, I have all these ideas and passions that I just need time to think, start with fair play. It's interesting. I like that idea. And this whole idea of like everyone being so like toxically busy, you know, that this is something that I just saw Gina wrote in my comments because everyone, it's like this, the message right now is like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time for this. And and everybody has time for whatever it is that yes, you, you do. Want to prioritize. There That's is, right. you know, we all have the same hour, amount of hours in the day. No one's more busy. I mean, maybe for like the president, but it looked <laughs> like, you know, you could still find time to golf or be with your, play with your dog. So it doesn't seem like this, that's a real excuse. And that's something women put on themselves, particularly. What, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a really important piece of this because this is a one-on-one. You're here with us. Remember, this is also a curiosity, connection, and completion community. We are here for you. Second Shift is here for you. This is a one-on-one conversation. But Jenny, this took me 10 years because the truth is we were about to go. So you know, systems, that's fair play. But if we really want to talk about boundaries here, the toxic busyness, right? We, what happens is that we get into this extrinsic problem where decisions are being made for us. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is two weeks ago, I get six pings as I'm on a panel. I'm like, what? I forgot to turn off my phone. I was like, what the hell's happening out there? I thought there was some emergency in the world. Six different text chains, Jenny, my most political nasty women text chain, an old like carpool text chain are sending me a link to free COVID tests. Uh, apparently they came out, Biden offered them. They said, you need to order them. I remember that day okay. I got the text. Yeah. So then, I wrote, I, so then I just wrote back to all six text chains. Are, are, are the men in your life ordering these as well? Are the men in the, your life ordering these as well? Are, your, are the men in your life ordering these as well? And then a lot of my friends were like, oh, you got us again. And I'm like, I'm not here to get you again. What I'm here to remind you of is that your time is your most valuable currency. But from birth, Women have been taught and conditioned to give it away for free. So in, even in that moment, what happened was there is a woman who stopped what she was supposed to do in that 30 minutes, chose to use her time to order those tests because either guilt and shame or I have to protect my family. But there was no stopping and thinking, do I want to interrupt my day right now to order these tests? Is there a system in place where someone else would have gotten this text to order it so it wouldn't fall on me? What ends up happening is we get external inputs. A school will call us. Our kid is sick. They have to come home. We stop our day to go pick them up. So when our our decisions are being made by society, the real boundary is not a walk around the block, Jenny. It's saying I deserve a fucking break to be interested in my own life. And I'm not going to order the COVID tests. I'm not going to pick up my kid when they're sick. And to do that, obviously, you need the systems in place in advance. And that's what fair play is. But that's a true boundary. A true boundary in this day and age is being interested in your own life. I just think people need to really rethink how they live and what they create the boundaries in their life. Because if you don't have it, then you're just pulled in every different direction. 
you're like Gumby. There's no you left of you. Right. You're just giving yourself away to everybody else instead of shoring up what you need as a person and then be able being able to actively communicate your needs. If you don't have the boundaries, you don't have know what you need because you have you have no you left. Correct. And what ends up happening actually it becomes the cycle for for people who couldn't communicate what they needed self-talk wise which is the guilt and shame, and then externally to others, was that there became a cycle of rage and resentment. So what happened is it would, it would simmer down, and then the resentment would build, and then it would come out as rage. And then it would be a guilt and shame cycle again. Oh, I can't believe I just yelled at my kids and my partner and, or the people around me or the people at work. And then you retreat back into shame, which keeps you quiet. Then the resentment builds again, and then the rage comes out, and then you start over with the guilt and shame. So if you want to break that cycle, we have to, instead of the resentment and rage and guilt and shame cycle, the boundary systems and communication cycle, to me, obviously, because I wrote two books about it, is a much healthier way uh, to live in a cycle. Understanding what you need, anticipating those needs in advance, that's a system, being able to communicate it to yourself and to others. And so I think that's the boundary, but the communication, Jenny, is probably the hardest part because like you said, how do you even know how to ask for what you need if you don't have that quiet space to understand what your needs are in the first place? I have one question and this is because your mom wrote into the oh chat. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> so I have a question based on your mom's question. Yeah, you, did. you were never home, so you don't even know what we did. All, our invisible work was not seen by you. As your mom, I never knew I offloaded those chores to you. I guess you turned out okay. I'm wondering how did you get, you know, obviously you have everyone's life gets them to where they are. How, how did your own personal story get you to, to where you are? Like you, you are so outspoken. You've always been outspoken as a person. You're not, you know, any sort of withering flower in, in any capacity, even before you were writing these books, you've been very strong as a woman and as a career woman, as a mother, as a wife. So, you know, where, where did that come from? I think a lot, I will say this. I think Have you always been a good mother. communicator? Well, not always. My mother will say all I do is like, I have a lot of toxic communication, which is my tone. As Seth says, I like, I sound like nails on the chalkboard half of the day. And my kids are always saying, eat mom, you know, your emotion is high and your cognition is low. So they use my, my terms against me. But I will say that a lot of this, I will attribute it to my mother. So thank you. I think it was a really hard lesson to learn, Jenny, to live with a single parent who wouldn't make her life about us. So as a child, that felt really bad. There was another mother in our class who she went on every class trip and she also sold like neon bracelets in the eighties. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I just want Melissa Schwartz's mother uh, to be my mother. And my mother wasn't on class trips. She would always communicate. There are things that are important to me in my life as important as you and your brother. And that's my career because I'm doing things that are bigger than me. She's like I said, a professor of community organizing and has always done stuff in social justice. And I would say, also, I got to see someone in their unicorn space. So my mother, again, with no time, no resources, would take on things. Like we had a, we have a Y near us growing up on 14th Street and First Avenue. In the 90s, the early 90s, that Y was about to close. So my mother said, I'm a 
community organizer, I'm going to organize a community to save the Y. Every Tuesday for, I think, about a year, we had the randomest coalition of people in our living room in Stuyvesant Town on Avenue C and 14th Street coming to save the Y. So, you know, I think it is modeling. So again, if you're somebody who said, well, I'm not convinced yet, you know, I never like to convince people through guilt and shame about how they model to their children, but it's just a fact. It's a fact that when people see you and you get to model certain things, then people will follow in your footsteps. I had a fr- conversation last night with a friend of mine who's a lawyer who lives in Miami. And she also, as her unicorn space, started a group somewhat similar for women who are working, who can have community. And that has taken off into something that she sort of never thought it would. But she was saying she was coming home from a funeral yesterday and it was a, a friend's mom. And the mom had every eulogy, everything everyone said about her was that she was selfless. Oh my God, I can't. So and my friend said, you know, I think they thought that they were saying something so nice, but all I heard was, can you imagine the end of your life? You've raised all these kids, you've done all these things, you've had this beautiful life, but the only thing people could say about you was she was selfless. Right, she gave, she gave what did you stand for? Like, what did you do? What you did do? you stand for? <laughs> right, you basically, it is saying, you know, I'm this person is in her death is now reflected in me because uh, she gave and gave and gave. Look, some people, whether it's religion, I have a very religious family. They may say God, God's the reason for that. I mean, there are systems that have conditioned us to be that selfless. I will tell you, it does not serve you. I talk to those women because of my religious background. I'm able to access communities of religious women that wouldn't normally talk to people for data. It is not a pretty picture on the other side of being selfless. The number one thing, Jenny, in all structures in 17 countries that women said to me about home life was that they felt two things that to me feel like a deadly combination. They felt overwhelmed and boredom. That is a deadly combination. Doesn't everyone kind of feel that way right now? Like it's like, but you're so busy and you can't figure out that's the funk. That's the, that was was the word cloud. When I saw those two giant words come together, I was like, Oh my God, this is it. You're overwhelmed and bored. Like that is, it's like they're clashing. That's the story of 2022. so far. And, but, but the beauty is when you're in the game of Mahjong or when, when, I'm taking an advanced jazz class. Um, I just got my new costume with like- I was going to ask if that's what you're saying. Like Bob, by Bob Fosse hands, you know? You're still um, doing it. Okay, cool. Or when I'm writing and, and not even just writing books, but one of my friends, new friends from this type of work, I call everybody new spiritual friends who I meet on the road. A woman who was in a seminar, she DM me and said she writes travel haikus. So I decided that I was going to do that. Like, I love travel and culture. And for me, this idea that I haven't been able to travel, I want to just go in an atlas, look up a place and just make a haiku about that place. So she inspired me to start another another unicorn space. So I look, we have till 945. So I was hoping I could play a game with you. Yeah. I I think the unicorn space might be the funk buster. 
It's like if everybody's pressure. kind of That's in their funk right now and they want to shake it off and they want to get back to normal because life is getting back to normal, hopefully, but you can't figure out how to get out of the funk. Unicorn space is it the is. funk buster. It is. It's a funk buster. And it's something you want to keep with you even as things get back to normal, because then your busyness meter is not going anywhere. One important piece of data. Everybody says in the studies that they are less busy in six months. There are lots of studies on time use that show people think they're going to be less busy in six months. And guess what? The researchers come back to you in six months later and you're not less busy. So why I'm saying that is because there's no better time than starting now. So I'm going to, I want us to play, Jenny, we're going to play. We're going to pretend that Mahjong is not your unicorn space right now. We're going to pick another. I'm creating a new unicorn space. I started bridgeless yesterday. Okay, good. I love it. So leveling up, like you said. I love it. Well, I love that. So we know what your card is going to be. So let's pretend. I wish we could pull somebody up from the audience. We can. Let's let's get Kiki. Can we bring Kiki Kiki, up? Kiki, you there? Okay, Kiki, we're going to use you. Get Get on here. Yeah. Okay. All right. And Gina, yes, cooking counts. And absolutely. A meal is a completion, right? The meal serving yes, it to 100%. Friend. As long as there's not an obligation associated with, with it. Um, absolutely. So Kiki, so you're willing to play? I Jenny says okay. so. So let's do okay. it. Yes. All right. So this is how it works. Okay. So and if anybody out there on the recording or here, I'm prototyping because no fair play book goes out without cards. As you know, I have a whole card game that goes with Fair Play Book One. So we're prototyping this game for Book Two. Okay, so this is how it works. If you actually had the card game, I wouldn't have to read them all. But be patient. (laughs) You're going to listen to 50 cards. And then Jenny and I, so this is how you play the game. You have a spiritual, you have a uni. Kiki's our uni. And then you have three spiritual friends or more. Ideally, you play with at least two or three people. And it's like Cards Against Humanity, where we're going to remix one of your cards that you're inspired by this week with another card. And we're going to have you do something this week that gets you inspired into what a unicorn space can be for this week. So I'm going to read you 50 cards. We know that Jenny's would be games. Uh, we already know that. So we would know. So that's why I'm glad we're doing Kiki. So I want you to pick a card of all 50. You have to listen. And then Jenny, you're going to pick another card to remix. So an example, I had a friend who played, she picked art. She's really upset about what's happening with reproductive rights. So in the game, I combined arrows and axes with her art card and said, you make a piece of art. We'll go to an axe throwing place, make a piece of art about reproductive rights. We'll go to an axe throwing place. We'll put up your art and we'll throw axes at it and we'll call it rage art. And so that, and that, that's, that's what I'm talking about here. So for example, I would say for you, Jenny, I would assume you were picking games. I would probably pair writing with games for you to do just a little haiku or a blog about what it feels like to be a bridge player or mahjong player like i'd love to have that those stories captured that you could share with the world so anyway that's how it works you remix your your unicorn spaces for inspiration okay ready kiki okay writing design teaching math and sciences research and learning Otherworldly pursuits like astrology, genealogy and lineage, spiritual wellness, like religion, racing, any type, circus, theater and production, snow sports, sports with balls, triathlon, running, sports with wheels, 
memories and archiving, martial arts, rhetoric, animals, dance, performing, travel and culture, outdoors, storytelling, water sports, stitching and needles, art, metallurgy, music, woodworking, florals, photography, gardening and farming, pottery, arrows and axes, beauty, video games, language and anthropology, health and wellness, event planning, finding and foraging and collecting, fashion, building and DIY, restoration and renovation, cooking, there it is, Gina, coding and engineering, baking, games, there's Jenny's. Okay, phew, that's it. Those are amazing. Um, Pick okay, just so one. I, one I that's just one. speaking out to you right now. Okay, florals. Florals. Okay, tell us why. I think that's something um, that has like come to me more in the last couple of years, spending less uh, less time in New York and more time in places that have um, sort of like different color schemes and nature for me has like opened up something a little bit more creatively. And it's just made me feel really like drawn to like what that brings into a space. Um, whether I that's love it. Or afterwards. And tell me about the values. What does florals bring up to you in terms of a connection to your values? Um, I think that like as a choice to infuse something that's like fresh, that's from the earth um, and that like brings something really energetically light to other people who like enter wherever that is, whether that's like a garden or, you know, somewhere in a home or a hotel room or, you know, wherever it is. Um, I think that there's something that like demonstrates love about it to other people. Um, and I feel it as well. Okay. So I'm going to reflect back to you so that Jenny can become a better spiritual friend to you and I can as well. And again, this is how you play. So I'm reflecting back that the values that you're connecting with or you're feeling inspired by when you think of florals are beauty. You use the word freshness, which I love because it's like the opposite of stale, which feels like the world has sort of been stale. An earth connection. So a connection to nature and the earth. You said also energetically light, which I thought was really beautiful. Somehow it changes the energy around us or it can. And then you said love and you really, and in all the things you talked about, you're talking about connecting to other people. So you're already looking at it in that context of the unicorn space where florals is a way to connect, whether it's giving them out or people seeing them in a space and being able to have their energy change because of your, your florals. Does that do a decent job of, of saying what you said? Yeah, that was gorgeous. But also what's beautiful about that is those are values you can keep with you because there's probably other ways than florals for you to feel beauty, fresh, earth connected, energetically light, but those intentions are helpful. So sometimes if you're stuck thinking about what card or activity inspires you actually can take you a step further to think about the values that you may need most right now. So I would say, I love that idea of being energetically light because we've had a lot of dark energy in the past year. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So Jenny, as uh, Kiki's spiritual friend, can you pick another card to mix with florals that could inspire Kiki to do something different this week? I was going to, was there one about art? There was like yeah, an art. Yeah, art of course, art. Mm-hmm. I, I think that she could do, like, I would mix those two together. And because originally my thought was like, oh, she should take like a flower class. 
But, you know, I don't know if that's necessary. I think like I could picture Kiki like watercoloring. Oh, I love that. So have you ever done that before, Kiki, where you've taken a still life of florals and painted it? Not specifically. I mean, I haven't had a watercolor set in a, in a handful of years, but I used to, you know, sort of enjoy dragging, you know, dragging some paint around a piece of paper. Um, so that's well, maybe that maybe this weekend we're going to force you to go. It could be a CVS for like the kids watercolor kit or to a, a Blick. Just buy a watercolor kit. It would be fun to figure out, you know, could you buy, you know, just from the local shop and just see what would happen if you tried to paint it. I love that idea. Okay. So my idea for you is to combine the foraging card with florals. I don't know. Where do you live right now? In LA. Okay. So that's, so do I. And there are some beautiful places here um, where we could, and I don't necessarily mean forage, Like you don't have to go to a mountain and start picking wildflowers, even though you could do that. But I think it could be fun to find a couple of flower trucks at farmer's markets and just forage for, I would go to two different farmer's markets this weekend and pick two completely different type of florals and see what would happen if you mix them together. Okay. This is for you. This is so fun. This is the best morning. I'm so thrilled. (laughs) I feel really. And you need to share with us your picture, your watercolor picture. But the goal is, and again, this is just a modeling, but the goal here is that these types of games, what they can do is they can up-level your conversations. How's work? How's the kids? We do get stale. And so bringing light energy is the intention. And just by mixing up of saying, what are you curious about this week? You know, bringing your PDF with you or putting it on your phone and saying, scroll through these cards. Just tell me what's resonating with you. I'd love to help you figure out how to get more inspired this week. That is the type of friendship we need right now. We know now that 65% more likely to do something we are if you have a friend. You're 95% more likely if you have a success partner, someone who's there with you doing it. So I think that's what I love about the second shift. You are actually a success partner as a company, right? So it is, it's built into your mission, this idea. You are the best, Eve. Thank you so much for your time this morning, sharing all of this, not only like right now, just in general with women and the world. You're the best. And I really appreciate it. I love you all. Um, Come get the cards, continue to be inspired. And Kiki, I'm very inspired by your florals it would never be mine and so that's why i want to see what you do with it <laughs> i'm so really, excited I'm really looking forward to it thank you thank you Kate. bye everyone talk to you okay. soon bye thank you so much for joining the conversation for more you can follow along at thesecondshift.com please rate review subscribe and help us make work work for you and for all women 